The Pacecast from Pace Communications, hosted by Anita Pace and very special guests. And I went out knocking on doors of businesses, really, trying to to get into those companies. And it was horrific. You know, I had no idea how difficult that would be. But gradually, you know, I gained more confidence, I think. And um, people obviously, I think, probably felt sorry for me because it was clear that it was the first sales role I'd ever had. It just made me sort of reevaluate things. And then ironically, the following day, I got a call from my previous employer to say, look, would you come back? And whether that was the right decision or the wrong decision, only time tells you that, doesn't it? But um, I thought, yes, I will. I believe there were much bigger opportunities further afield. So decided to set up Chameleon. We don't say we can do something we can't do, but we are very good as a business, I think, at building relationships uh, and building trust. And I think for whatever reason, I think people felt that level of trust with us and felt that they could depend on what we said we could do. Particularly in the early days, there was a leap of faith on some people's part, really. Um, But everybody needs a leap of faith at some time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March edition of our PaceCast. I'm Anita Pace. I'm the Managing Director of Pace, and it's great to have you with us this month. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Sean Watts, who's the chairman of Chameleon Business Interiors. Morning. Great to have you with us, Sean. Thanks for doing this. So as always, with all our guests, we ask them to bring with them something that is meaningful to them and that tells us a bit about their story and maybe what's inspired them on their business journey. So I don't know what Sean's brought with him today. I can see it's some sort of book. So please tell me what you've brought. Well, it's actually, it's... um... It's photographs and it's very relevant to the business because this goes back to December 98, which was when I started the business. And uh, I was actually on a trip in Norway with a group of other people that ran interiors companies around the country. And we'd all won a sales competition. So the manufacturers took us out to Norway and I met a group of people that have remained friends for 25 years now. And um, the strange thing about it is I actually came up with a name for the business whilst I was here, and these guys helped me come up with the name Chameleon uh, for, for the company. So it has a lot of memories, and I'd actually forgotten about this book, and I picked it out last night because you'd said bring something, and I couldn't really think what to bring. And then I looked at this, and I thought, God, I look pretty rough then. But anyway, <laughs> but apart from that... Um, and you had more hair. And I had... Yeah, okay. Thank you very much for that. But yes, I did have more hair. Yeah. And, but there's some great people in here, some great friends that have continued to be so throughout the 25 years and that I still pick up the phone to and chat if I've got issues that I think, I wonder what you do in this situation. So it's really... It's quite special to me is this because it's... Being the month that I started the business, um, it it means a lot to me. So it's great that you brought your album in today, Sean. So do you have a favourite picture in there uh, that you're prepared oh, to yeah. show us? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> a lot of them have. Uh, when you reflect on them, they have quite a lot of meaning behind them. Really, if you really think about what happened at that time, as I said, this was my first month literally the month I started the business. And um, this one, I think, particularly here, there's three of us in this picture. And the guy on the left, Russell Mumford, um, 
uh, he was a very experienced guy who had a very successful business in our industry. And over the years, I've always sought advice from Russell um, because he always seems to do everything right. Mm. And, uh, but this photograph, we literally just be, it was minus 25 and we'd just been husky racing. And we were sat in these big wigwams at the end, uh, cooking meat over a fire on a stick. And um, we all had to give, uh, tell a story really about our most embarrassing moment in business. I'm not going to tell you what mine oh. was. Um, <laughs> that's for another story. But, um, but that's what we had to do. And it was just, it was just funny, but it was interesting what people said. And you think, God, you know, those things happen to us all, but sometimes you don't want to admit it. Uh, and it was a bit of a, not a wake up call for me, but it was a bit of a, yeah, actually, we all have the same problems. Yeah. We all have the same worries. Uh, but as I say, the, the people in these photographs, um, over the last 25 years, they've all remained good friends and um, I've had a lot of good advice from some of them and continue to do so. So yeah, they mean it, it means a lot to me, really. Oh, thanks for sharing that with us. So let's dial it back then. So that was when you'd obviously made a conscious decision to start Chameleon, and yes. hence the name was born out of that trip. But let's dial it right back. So the early days of Sean, talk to us about that, those early days, and maybe what inspired you to become an entrepreneur. Well, I had no idea what I wanted to do. To be honest, um, I left school with no qualifications. Um, and my first job was working on a market garden, packing lettuces. I used to cycle to Beverly every morning at half past four uh, on my sister's bike because I didn't have one. And, um, and then I packed lettuces until one o'clock in the afternoon. And I did that for a few months to earn some money. And uh, eventually I thought, I'm sure I can do a bit more than this. And um, I thought, I need, to, uh, I need to go to college. So I actually went, uh, I was on a YTS scheme. Oh, now, I remember YTS. Exactly. Not many people no, will, I'm sure. Youth training scheme um, to those people who don't know what YTS Exactly. Um, and you got paid £25 a week on this, and you went to college and you studied. Um, but after about six weeks, it was so mind-numbingly boring and simple. I just, I left. And uh, it was the summer, and I thought, well... I'll have a couple of weeks doing nothing really. And then um, I thought, no, I need to have some money. I need, while I decide what I want to do. And I really had no idea at that age. I was only 17, didn't have a clue. So I got a job um, as a van driver's mate, um, delivering and installing office furniture ah. uh, at the age of 17. And it was exactly what it said. I was the assistant to the van driver. And, um, so did that for a while. And then, um, I got the opportunity to move into the warehouse in that company. Um, was this a local company? To the yes. Set? Right, okay. And then, and then worked in the, <clears throat> in the warehouse, did that for a while, became warehouse manager. Um, and then after I'd done that, uh, I thought I'd actually quite like to have a go at sales. No idea why I thought that, but I just thought I would. Um, it's probably because I thought I'll get a company car. Um, I won't have to. Um, well, actually, no. What it was, I thought I'll be able to get my first ever suit. 
I'd never had a suit in my life. So how old are you at this time? Uh, at that age, I was 20. Right, okay. And um, so I went to see my employer and he said, yeah, okay, you can have a go at sales. But if it doesn't work out, then... Um, You're back in the van. There won't be a job for you because oh. we'll have replaced you. So I said, okay. So they agreed to get me a company car. So I was all excited. I told all my friends I was getting this company car and I'd arranged with four of my friends to go down to Brighton that weekend to watch the football. Whole city were playing away. And um, sure enough, Friday afternoon, my company car turns up and it was a lime green Fiat Uno. <laughs> Street credibility was on the floor. Um, and uh, so I thought, oh, right, okay. And he said, well, you need to prove yourself. So did you manage to get your friends in it? To go to we did. We got in it and we had a great weekend, actually. Um, but then on the Monday morning, went into the office, not knowing what to do. I'd bought my suit and uh, I thought, you know, this is it. I've made it. And um, they literally said my sales training was um, open the boots. We'll fill your boot full of catalogs and we'll see you on Friday. And that was it. And um and I went out knocking on doors of businesses, really, and trying to, to get into those companies. And it was horrific. You know, I had no idea how difficult that would be. Um, but gradually, you know, I gained more confidence, I think. And um, uh, people obviously, I think, probably felt sorry for me because it was clear that it was the first sales role I'd ever had. Anyway, so I did that for a while. And um, gradually, as my experience grew, um, I said to the employer, look, I'd, I'd think we could set up an interiors division and do more than just furniture. Uh, and to be fair, they said, yeah, okay, well, you can have a go at that. So I set up an interiors division for them. Sounds like your employer had um, saw something in you because he, I'm assuming it was a he, um, he was giving you these opportunities. Like you said, you wanted to have a go at sales. You said, yep, there you go. And then Absolutely. there we go. So, oh. Absolutely. Kudos to him for giving you those opportunities, which you clearly seized yeah. as well. Ah, yeah. I mean, he, he really did, and um, you know, and and it was it was it was a great opportunity for me. So I set up that, in, that interiors division, started to build that up, and it was doing really well. Um, then I just started to get itchy feet, and I thought, what can I do instead? I didn't I didn't feel stimulated enough at that time, and um, back in those days. You used to advertise jobs in the paper. And uh, I saw this advertisement for the TSB Bank uh, doing uh, selling investments for the TSB. I thought, I quite fancy that. So, and you'd never be able to do this these days. So I called them and I convinced them to interview me um, and um, over in Leeds. So I went over for the interview and... Um, Sure enough, I, I got the role. And um, so I, I was then sent off for a three-month training course down in Andover, residential course, to sit the exams that I needed to sit to be able to, to work in the banking sector. And then after that, I started going out, um, talking to people, bank customers, about investments. And my area, uh, I was responsible for six branches and my areas of, of Hull were um, Preston Road, Brandsholm, areas to the east of Hull, uh, and part of North Hull. And of course, 
it was at a time when the interest rates had just peaked at 15%. And I had to go and talk to people that really had no money about investing. And it was the most horrific time ever. I met some fantastic people, but I'd be going to people's homes at eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night to talk about investments when they didn't really have enough money to pay the mortgage. And I just thought, this is all wrong. And what convinced me one night, and I went to see a lady who lived on Preston Road, it's about nine o'clock at night, and um, I hadn't really eaten much all day. I was tired. And I went in to see her, and she was lovely. And she, I had a chat with her, and she said to me, look, I, I, I'm not in a position to invest anything. But she said to me, you look hungry. Would you like some stew? Oh, so, um, and I said, well, actually, yeah, I would. So I had a bowl of stew and a cup of coffee with this lady. And at the end of it, I thought, this is not for me. And um, it just made me sort of reevaluate things. And, uh, and then ironically, the following day, I got a call from my previous employer to say, look, would you come back? And whether that was the right decision or the wrong decision, only time tells you that, doesn't it? But um, I thought, yes, I will. And so I resigned from the TSB and I went back to work for my previous employer. And in what role, what did you want you to come back as? To continue to run the interiors oh, division right. okay. uh, and build the sales in that division. And so that's what I did. Um, and it was good. But then I got a year into it and I just thought there was a reason that I, that I moved on. And I think the reason that I'd moved on was that I think my personal aspirations were greater than that of the business. And there was nothing wrong with that. You know, they had a very successful business, but it was a very much a local business. And, and I saw, or I believe there were much bigger opportunities further afield. So decided to set up Chameleon. So how old were you at this point then when you decided to go on your own? 30. Right. Okay. So I was 30 years old when I started Chameleon. And, and setting uh, up in direct competition then with your employer, I guess. Uh, in essence, yes. Mm. Yeah, but, but not, it, it was slightly different um, in as much as um, when I started the business, we started it in Howden and um, in a florist shop or what was a florist shop, which was about 10 feet by 10 feet. It was tiny and um, at 5,000 pounds. and um, and that was all I had, literally had £5,000 to my name at that time. I invested that into the business to get it off the ground. And um, that was in uh, December 98. And by the first week, end of the first week of January, I had £1,100 left. And I was beginning to think, am I cut out for this? Start to question myself. Anyway, I managed to get a, a secure a contract with... Um, it was actually with Rollitz in oh, okay. Hull the law firm, yeah. to do their Beverly office. Um, and that was in beginning of December 99. And they very kindly gave me a deposit, which gave me cash flow. Uh, and that was the kickstart, really, for how I started to build the business. And, um, and then there was another gentleman uh, called Keith Lathwood. Keith Lathwood was the occupational, sorry, the health and safety officer at uh, the uh, Hull and East Riding Hospitals. And I'd worked with him 
for previous years just supplying bits of furniture and ergonomic seating. And they were about to embark on a PFI scheme at Castle Hill Hospital. Uh, and they had some consultants in. And he said to the consultants, this is the seating range we want, which ironically is the manufacturer that I'd been to in Norway. Uh, where okay, we on worked. your trip. So there's a real link with all of that. And um, so he insisted that they use this seating. So the consultants came to us. I spoke to them about much more than just the seating, what we do. We ended up securing that contract. And these consultants at the time were doing all of the PFI schemes around the country, so all the new hospitals. So I was getting called into uh, hospitals around the country to do the work there. And all the time we're building our sort of um, regional business, if you like, uh, in terms of interior design, fit-out, furniture, project you management. Have, you can't possibly have been in the florist in Howard, in Howard, in Howden at this point. Yep. Oh, you were? You're still operating from there? Spent the first 10 years in Howden. But what we did do was we extended into the buildings next door. Right. Um, so we ended up having almost one side of the street. It still wasn't a big space. And how it, many people were in Chameleon at this point? Can you remember, roughly? Oh, there was only about five of us right okay at that point um and we were subcontracting a lot of the work mm. you know which you know we continue to do to this day because it makes financial sense but we have good solid teams of subcontractors um working on the sites but it was a it was an interesting time for us because we were being called all over the country to to look at these projects the commercial side of the business we managed to secure a project with the um Centre of Excellence for what was then Telewest and now is Virgin Media mm. uh, over in Sheffield, which was for about a thousand people in a building there. And um, and this was all in, this was in year, well, back end of year one, beginning of year two of the business, really. And so at that point, I was thinking, this is fantastic. So let's, so why you were getting some decent contracts, clearly, with some mm. big names, why do you think that was the case? Because, you'd, you know, you hadn't been doing the job long. Um, this was a, quite a, a young business, still in its infancy, small business. You were still relatively young. So what was it about Chameleon or you specifically that was resulting in these, these contract wins, do you think? It's always difficult to answer that because you never really know people's reasoning for choosing to work with you. Um, I think we have some very basic principles and we still maintain those to this day of just being very honest and straightforward about what we do. Um, not, I wouldn't say over-promising, but not, we don't say we can do something we can't do. And, um, but we are very good as a business, I think, at building relationships uh, and building trust. And I think for whatever reason, I think people felt that level of trust with us and felt that they could depend on what we said we could do. And um, yeah, obviously, particularly in the early days, there was a leap of faith on some people's part, really. Um, but everybody needs a leap of faith at some time. But the, I guess they were buying into you, weren't they? Because it was your business. I guess you were the face of Chameleon and still are today to some degree. Um, so they saw something in you, much like your previous employer who trusted you to go and try these new things. They trusted you to give you their work. Um, yeah, possibly. Uh, yeah, there's obviously an element of that. Yes, there is. And I think also, you know, we had the support of some 
pretty substantial manufacturers. So in terms of the quality of what we were delivering, you know, we had that that sort of reputation behind us as well. So, you know, there's there's a number of people that have helped me and helped us along the way that to get to the next stage and the next level of where we needed to be. But um, it was so exciting in the early days. Nervous. I was always nervous. I was always worried about what if it goes wrong? Mm. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And eventually I just convinced myself, well, what's the worst that can happen? Because I hadn't borrowed any money. Um, I didn't have any money, but I, you know, I, I hadn't borrowed any. So the worst thing that would happen would be I'd either have to start again or I'd go and work for someone else. And once I got my head around that, then it enabled me to sort of concentrate on, right, what can we actually do? And I think it's about, for me, it's about not, and it always has been about not, um, not seeing the obstacles or finding ways around the obstacles. You know, there's no limit to what you can do, I don't think. I just think you've got to have the belief. And I think in the business now, and I'm jumping ahead, I realize, but I think we've got people in the business now that all have that same belief. And so the business flourishes because of that. And when you set up Chameleon back in those day, early days, did you have a place? It sounds like you maybe didn't have a plan. Maybe you did. <laughs> but when you set the business up, did you have a vision? What did you think Chameleon would be like in 20 years time? Um, I didn't look that far ahead. I, I, you know, and you know, if I'm honest, I hadn't had whether it's the right type of training or anything like that to really understand all of that. Mm. I just knew, I guess it, inside I knew that I could do it. Um, what it looked like in the future, I had no idea. <clears throat> and and, if, and again, and even, even today, you know, we have a plan. Clearly we have a business plan and we have a strategy, but we see opportunities and that takes us on a slightly different direction. And we grab those opportunities. And, and that's one thing that I've always loved about our business, that um, we're not, it's not rigid. Yeah. You know, we, we, we can suddenly say, right, we're going to go in that direction because there's a great opportunity for us here. And I know we can, we can maximise it. So let's talk about that then for a bit, because Chameleon today is obviously much bigger. Congratulations on the success you've had. In, um, you're obviously operating overseas now. So tell us about, a bit about Chameleon today. Well, it's very different to the, um, in terms of its sort of look uh, and operational capability to what it was when we started. Um, today, we, uh, we operate from six locations around the UK. Uh, we have the same business over in Toronto, in Canada, uh, which we started eight years ago. And, um, and now we also operate in the US and we're delivering projects there as well. So for me, um, whilst that's about the growth of the business and opportunity, and I, and I think it's something we can continue to do, it's re-energised me because that creates a, a whole set, new set of exciting opportunities. But also what I'm trying to build o- over there is the opportunity for people that work in the business in the UK to be able to go and work in North America and vice versa. And so you build um, career opportunities and um, just you, you expose people to really how small the world actually is, but different cultures, different ways of working. And all of that experience then comes back into the business and it can only benefit us. 
So yeah, it's very different now. The types of projects we're doing now are, I don't think I would ever have dreamed of doing the projects we're doing now when I first started, if I'm being honest. Um, and even now with the sort of huge, the sort of high profile projects we do today, I still think we can do so much more. And I think because I feel that energized about it now, the, the hardest thing for me is to hold myself back a bit well, and not gonna, get carried uh, yeah. away. I was just going <laughs> to pick up on that because what, so Chameleon's 25 years old this year? Yes. Congratulations, party. Um, so 25 years on, you're still very enthusiastic and energetic, which is evident talking sat here talking to you today. So what most, what, how are you still motivated after all this time? Well, I think if you're in our industry, it's a creative business and it's one of the very few uh, businesses, I think, where you always get to see the end result of your work. I think in a lot of, in a lot of businesses, you're somewhere in a process. If you're in manufacturing, you make a part or uh, you make a component. Um, you don't actually see the end result. But we go beyond that because we actually see the benefit of the end result. And so for me, um, and, and to be honest, it seemed things like COVID, um, as bad as that was, that's just created a whole new environment for us to create because people are now working completely differently. So the whole requirement of working in the office is very, very different. And so, again, we have to design them in a way that attracts people into the office, gives them a reason to be there, helps companies to attract and retain the best people. Um, and what we see at the end of that is we see the benefits, not just for the business, but for the people actually working in those companies, how it improves their lives and their sort of working day and, and ultimately how it benefits the bottom line of the business as well. So, the team that we've got at the minute as well, I find quite inspirational, really, because there's so much enthusiasm. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm one of those people that I feed off other people's enthusiasm in the same way that I can get the life sucked out of me if I'm with the wrong type yeah, of people, yeah, you know, and, and yeah. that, that's just the way I've always been. Yeah. But I do think I'm generally full of energy. Yeah. And, uh, so let's just pick up on the COVID points. I was going to ask you about that, because clearly, you know, office interiors, um, it, COVID was a massive threat mm. to your business mm. with all the working from home. How has business been since then? I mean, w there's a trend, I think, that people are starting to go back into the office because they recognise the benefits of mm. that. How has the working from home trend affected Chameleon? And what do you think is the future for office working? It was quite interesting, really, because um, COVID presented some opportunity for us. Um, I was really worried about it because, of course, we were all sent home. Um, fortunately, the government said, if you're linked to the construction sector, you can go back to work. And we had um, some clients who uh, still believed in uh, the benefits of having the office and retaining the culture uh, of the business that they'd spent years building up and they didn't want to lose by having everyone sat at home working in the bedroom. And so we were able to continue delivering projects. Um, the furlough scheme came along and um, most of our competitors furloughed every employee. And we took a gamble because I believed that people would still, there would still be some people that needed 
work undertaking. So we actually increased our sales team, took on some more salespeople around the country. And um, it was a gamble. Fortunately, it paid off for us because um, we were right in our assessments. And we started to get companies calling us around the country, asking us if we could help them and look at this project with them because the people they normally work with just weren't available. They couldn't get to speak to anyone. So by default, we ended up picking up some really nice projects. And that enabled us to double in size during COVID. Which we, you just wouldn't have expected, especially in your sector. If there's no. only sector that you think would be retrenching, it would be office interiors. If you believed everything you read in the media and listened to on the news, the office was dead. No yeah. one was ever going to work yeah. in an office again. And, you know, it was it was a scary time. Don't get me wrong. But I think you just have to, you have to have a belief in what you do. And people have different views of things. And the very fact that we were being contacted by so many companies saying, can you help us with this project? So it bore out our beliefs, really. And so, um, but what it did mean was, of course, we were then having to think about, well, what is the office going to look like when people come back? Because it certainly isn't going to be just full of workstations, everybody sat side by side, because people have gotten into the habit of working at a desk at home. So why would you travel an hour? to get to the office, to go and sit at another desk and do exactly the same thing. So we needed to think about creating a completely different environment that people would actually want to come to. So we started to design them around a, based around a social hub, basically, and then feeding off that social hub, there'll be different work zones and different ways for people to go and work, different ways for people to interact with other people. But it was very much a place for for people to meet and do things rather than to come and sit and carry out a task. Uh, and then it's developed from there. So, And it, the interesting thing is that whilst uh, you would think, well, people are having less time in the office. So let's just say you've got 200 employees. Well, we will never have 200 people back in the office at once. We might have 120. So we don't need as much space. And so the belief would be, that everyone would start to downsize their office buildings so projects would become smaller. But that's not what's happened because to create the social hubs and create all these interactive spaces and breakout and collaboration spaces, you still need the same footprints mm. because it takes up more space. So it's been great for our industry because I think it's made a lot of organisations recognise that they really do have to invest in the environment to, to actually encourage people yeah. to come into it and be part yeah. of it. And it's so refreshing to hear that because I fund, I mean, anyone who listens to any or reads any of my social knows that I fundamentally believe in people need to be in the office for so many reasons, which we haven't got time to go into today. So you know, I'm really excited about the idea that people are starting to go back into the office and um, we can see that in your industry because of the amount of work you're getting. So Exactly, you know, and that's why I said to you, you asked me earlier on about why am I, why am I so enthusiastic and why am I so energised about it? Well, it's all of that. Mm. It's almost like starting again because you're having to rethink the way you do it. Um, and it just creates all of this opportunity. And then as our business has grown, um, we've gradually got a team into the business that actually have the same beliefs and um, are all heading in the same direction. And, and so, where is that direction then? Because 
you know, the chameleon of the future. So very successful, got the your offices around the UK, you're in Canada and the US, you've just mentioned. Where do you see the future chameleon being? So so the answer to that question really is is still quite difficult because if I go back to your earlier question, one of your earlier questions about um, where did I see chameleon when I started it? And really, I didn't know. And I find myself on similar ground again because the opportunity is so so big. You know, from a UK perspective, we have gained um, what I think is quite an enviable reputation for what we do across the country. And I think that's borne out by the projects that we're asked to undertake. Um, they're exciting projects. They are, um, they're getting bigger. And bigger doesn't necessarily mean that they're better, but it gives you more scope to be more creative because you've got more space to do that and different set of, of um, challenges. But then I look at what we're doing over in North America. And as I said earlier, we started in Toronto, not knowing a single person in Canada eight years ago, and we've built the Canadian business. And now we're into America and we're working on fabulous projects in America. And the sort of America element is in its infancy. But I had this conversation with one of the clients we're working with last week whilst I was over in, in Chicago. And you know, he said to me, what, what are your plans here? How are you going to springboard from these projects into others? And there's a part of me thinks that's quite a scary thought, but there's another part of me thinks, well, yes, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we continue? And so my view is, of course we will. Absolutely will until somebody tells us we can't or we're not doing it correctly. I think we've got a lot to offer because when we went over to Canada, we really did book the trend. Our business model was very different. Um, our designs were very different to what was being, um, what you would see in Canada at the time. And we're seeing the same in America. And I feel as if right, here's the next stage. This is why we build this. The size of America, I mean, and the, the opportunities. And I'll just put some perspective on that. If you, if you think over here in the UK, a typical office building might be about anywhere between 10 and 15,000 square feet, maybe 20,000 square feet. Over in Canada and America, typically in the downtown core, one floor would be about 50,000 square feet yeah, and there might be 70 floors. Yeah. And so the scale and opportunity is so much greater. And I've got to say, and I know I keep using this, this phrase, but it is so exciting, really. And um, I know the team in the, in, in, over here in the UK are keen to work with the team over in, in Canada and, uh, and, and the team in the States. So I think um, I'd like to say that we continue to build the business as an international business. Sean, you've had a very successful 25 years, but during that journey, there must have been some things that perhaps you, looking back now, you might have done differently. Any examples <laughs> you can share with yeah. us that you want to share with a us? A good example. Yeah. A good example of that really is we acquired a company that fitted out warehousing and provided all the forklift trucks and did the service and maintenance. And I thought I could combine the two uh, and I couldn't be more wrong because they were two completely different customer types. Um, I thought my idea was great. It wasn't, it didn't really work. And we ended up selling that business. And what I realized was it sucked up so much management time as well that really should have been focused on our core business. 
And what it taught me was, look, stick to what you're good at, you know, and do it well. But as all business leaders realise, you know, if you, you've you got to take these opportunities and maybe these risks, but as long as you recognise maybe it's not working and correct it quickly, then hopefully the, the experiences, yeah. you learn a lot from it and you move on and... Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, it was a learning curve. So since then, I've just thought, no, let's just do what we do and continue to do it better. So as just uh, as we're going to start wrapping up in a second, um, thinking back to your early days and you weren't sure what you wanted to do and you flirted with a few things, including lettuces and stuff. It's been ev- very evident throughout your career that you are a salesman. Mm. You are, you've got the gift of the gab. You can sell ice to the Eskimos, clearly. Um, and you are behind the success of Chameleon. So like me, you're not getting any younger. And Chameleon has so much potential in terms of its growth into new markets. What about when you want to take a step back? You know, you, you, it's your steadfast belief that has kept the company going on this trajectory of growth. What are your thoughts about succession and the future of Chameleon when you, perhaps you don't want to be as active as you are today? Which is always a problem, I think, as a founder of a business. You know, what, what happens to the business after you? The hardest thing, I think, for anyone like me is letting go it's the hardest thing and and i've i've struggled with that over the years you know in, in to varying degrees um but you have to accept that that's what you've got to do and you have to have so then it's not necessarily about the belief in what we can do it's the belief in the people that you've got as part of your team and the belief that they can continue to do it and so um from my point of view i've got that team um, and we'll continue to build it and develop it. But uh, equally, I've got to say to you, I just can't see a time mm. when I want to <laughs> You're stop. You're not ready. <laughs> well, I'm not. You yeah. know, it's not on my. It's not on my radar at all. Yeah. You know, it really Which isn't. Which is fine because yeah. you know what? I get asked the question as well. You know, what what you get, what's going to happen to pace? And I think, well, all the time I'm enjoying it. And exactly, exactly. Why? Why? You know? Yeah. Why does there have to be an end game? And don't get me wrong. And and you'll experience it as well. There are a lot of occasions where you think, I've had enough of this. You know, you have a few bad days, a few things go wrong. And, you know, but you just, then you look at what the bigger picture and you think, actually, this is great. You know, look at what we do. Look at what we're achieving. And uh, and I genuinely think, you know, look at the impact it has on other people's lives, what we do. And it really does. So um, I've got a team that can continue to take the business forward if anything happened to me or if I did change my mind and think, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. So the business needs to be much bigger than me yeah. in ter- and it's and yeah. the brand needs to be much bigger than me. It's not Sean Watts, it's Chameleon Business Interiors. And I don't deliver the projects. I don't have that skill set. I would be your worst nightmare if you said to me, project manage this, this uh, fit out for us. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is just not me, you know. So, but I've got very talented people that can do that. Um, and we have talented people throughout the business that are um, at the right stage of their career with the right level of ambition to want to drive it forward. And I found that exciting, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Well, great. I mean, I think that's a really great, great place to end. So thank you for your time today. Um, 
obviously Chameleon is a client of Pace and we really enjoy working with you. Um, we're thrilled to be with you as you continue to grow and be part of your journey. So thank you and thanks for this today. So it is our, I'm not going to call it tradition because that's what Steve Bartlett calls it. And this, as this is only the third episode of the year, I don't think we can claim it's a tradition. But we've um, blatantly stolen his idea of taking um, a question from our guests and then that question is posed to the next guest on the PaceCast. So we do have a question for you that our last guest left, not knowing it was for you. And that question is, Hull has seen some incredible investment over the last decade with the renovation of the fruit market, Murdoch's Connection Bridge, health facility improvements and large companies coming in such as Siemens. Where, in your opinion, is next for Hull? How do we make us more visible on the international map? And what role will Chameleon play in making this happen? I added the chameleon bit on in, obviously. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's a big question. Uh, I think, look, I think I was born here. It's my, it's my hometown. Um, and I always speak very passionately about the city, but I think we have to recognize that if we want to attract people to come to live and work in Hull, we have to, we have to have significant investment in our retail sector, in city centre living. Um, and for me, that would start to drive people back to Hull, people coming into the city to spend money, which will facilitate growth. Um, from a from a business point of view, uh, I think that then helps to attract bigger organisations to come to relocate into Hull or to expand into Hull. That gives us opportunity to do that. And you talked about the fruit market and the area around the marina. Just as an example, I, I, I think there's something like 3,000 um, office-based employees around the fruit market area and the marina um, that we've been responsible for improving their working environments. Mm. Which um, you must be quite proud of. Oh, Not quite, massively. very proud of. Yeah, we are yeah, hugely proud of. When we moved into Humber Keys 14 years ago, there was nothing there. Mm. And over those years, you know, we've now delivered, I think it's 26 projects just around, within a five-minute walk of each other. Um, and created environments that have helped to attract and retain the best possible people. And what people. we've noticed, because obviously we're based in the same area, is that there is really now, certainly during the working week and lunch times, there are more people milling around. Oh, so God, people yeah. are back in the office, which is really, yeah. really good to see. I think the problem we've got, which is a whole other pace cast, is, is the nighttime economy. Because yeah. you leave the office uh, at 5.30, 6 o'clock, yeah. and it's dead. It is dead, yeah. And I feel sorry for all those businesses, those hospitality businesses that are there waiting mm. for people to come in and there's just not that footfall no. and it's just and i don't think it's unique to hull either i think it's a lot of um, bis, um city centers are experiencing the same thing but you never but the big difference i think if you you know the analogy is always sort of leeds and manchester the big difference is the the volume of city center living mm. in those areas and we don't have it here so until you're not going to have a nighttime economy until you have people living in the city center you know so there either has to be significant investments in uh, residential in the city uh, or retail. Uh, and 
which comes first? I don't know. I'm not a developer and it's not but my... But you could argue as well, you need the jobs for the people to come and live. So it's, it's, it's a vicious circle, isn't it? It's kind of what needs to come first. It is, yeah. And I think, you know, it, there are some very small steps towards that in Hull, I think. Um, Hull's got massive potential. I think everybody in it, in the city, realises that. What I don't think we do well enough is externalise it. Mm. And um, I think, you know, we allow people to talk down this area when there is amazing talent there are hugely successful companies and organizations in this area great schools which are not talked about so for me it would it needs to be how do we create that environment that people want to relocate to um, that will then drive employment i'm sure it will drive the nighttime economy um, it will help build retail, uh, and then the city will start to flourish. How long that will take, I've no idea. But um, you see the effect of that in a small part in the area of the fruit market and the marina. Mm, yeah. But, but the city's so much bigger than the fruit market and the, uh, and the marina. And so how do we expand that out so that people want to come and live here? Yeah. That would, that's, I mean, I, I don't know whether that's the right answer or the wrong answer. It's just a view that but you're I You're doing have. everything you can as Chameleon by growing and creating new jobs. Um, yeah, we are, you know, so. and, you know, and, and, and we'll hopefully we'll continue to do that. Yeah. But, um, you know, every city has its problems, but we don't tell enough people about the really good stuff. That's what but I think. the great thing is you get to see a lot of the world, obviously, as chameleons spreading its wings and, you're, and yet you choose to stay in Hull. So we'll leave it on that note. So thank you very much. Again, congratulations on your continued success. Here's to the next 25 years of chameleon. Maybe you'll still be at the helm then. We, we will wait and see. Um, thank you, Sean. Yeah. It's been great seeing you. And thanks, everyone. If you'd like to get in touch, please do so via our usual social media channels. We'd love to hear from you. But that's it for this month's Pacecast. We look forward to talking to you again next month. But until then, goodbye. This Pacecast was recorded and produced by Engine 7 Audio, award-winning audio production.